Good morning. Glad to see you here today. Thanks for joining us. I wonder if I say the word worship, what comes to your mind? What is that? Worship is something we reserve for uh, gods. Is that right? No, that's not right. We worship a lot of things. We might worship a particular celebrity. Uh, There's not a single celebrity worthy of that, but that's what happens. We worship. What What do I mean when I say worship? For some of us in the faith, it, I mean something like uh, singing or praise. But we have a word for those things, words for those things, singing and praise. I can praise something and not worship it. I can worship something while not praising it. I can worship without singing and I can sing without worship. What is worship? Well, that's one question. Here's another question. Who do you enjoy spending time with? And if I ask, I could ask it more forcefully by saying, who do you most enjoy? spending time with. Now that could be a different person from day to day. Like the one person you really enjoy most spending time with, there will be days when you do not want to be with that person. The person you most enjoy spending time with, sometimes you have to get away from them. Am I right? You know who I most enjoy spending time with? Myself. That might be funny, but it's also true. I'm not complimenting myself when I say that. What qualities do you look for in a friend, or do you? You know, what normally happens is I become friends kind of accidentally by spending time with someone, not because I chose to. You remember when you were a child, there were other children in your neighborhood or in your school, and you just became friends with those children because they were the ones you were around, and one or two of them liked you or you liked them, so you become friends. You don't really look for some quality. You didn't, when you were a child, you didn't think, oh, I like the way that person smiles or the way they comb their hair or I like that shirt that kid's wearing. You weren't looking for anything. You just It just happens. Do you look for some particular quality in your friends? Uh, one thing that happens a lot is as people grow out of school, they also grow out of friendships. happens a lot, especially to men. They don't have any friends. 
They have their family. They have their colleagues. But they don't really have any friends. Now that's another word. What does that mean, friend? Here's another question. What motivates you to go to church on Sunday? I'll tell you, for most Christians, what motivates us to go to church on Sunday is this. We go to church on Sunday. That's it. It's just what we do. It's just the tradition of our life. We've been going to, I'm, you know, almost 60 years old. I have been going to church on Sunday my whole life. I was going to church on Sunday before I was born. And I still am. It's just what I do. For many people in the church, this is why they're there. They don't have any real reason. Uh, I was talking to Greta this week, and I think I, I think it was Greta. I said something like, "You know, we need a better reason." than this is what we've always done. What motivates you? For some of us, it might be religious duty. It might be just uh, to learn something. That's a motivation. Here's another question. What's your place in the church? Do you have a place in the church? Here's something you can observe from up here. Most of us, if I came up here with a blindfold on, I could go like this and tell you who's sitting right there. Most of us sit in the same place every week. There's nothing wrong with that. Believe me, there's nothing. It's easy. We get a, you know, that's our place. It's easy to find. Nobody else is going to sit there. Well, sometimes a visitor will sit there. Then you have to be nice because they're a visitor. You never come, never go to a visitor and say, that's my seat. <laughs> but that's not what I mean when I ask the question, what's your place in the church? Your place consists of more than the chair you sit in on Sunday. Or your place could and should consist of more than that. But a place is more than a job, more than a task. We tend to, at least us Americans, we define life according to the task list that life involves. But that is not the definition of life, is it? What you get done in a given day? Or if I'm thinking about my place, is it? My place in the church, is it about what I'm going to get done? No, it's more related to who I am and how that relates to the other who's that are here. It's about a family relationship. In your family, do you think of your place in your family according to the jobs that you do? Well, a little bit, but that's not even the most important thing, is it? 
What matters to me and my family is that I'm the middle child and I have an older brother and an older sister and a younger brother and a younger sister and that puts me in a particular brotherly place. So when we ask the question, what's your place in the church, we're asking a big question and we want to avoid thinking in terms of just jobs we do. It certainly includes that, but what we've learned in this church at least, and I think we learned this in the scripture, well, I'm sure we learned this in the scripture, is that God has given each of us to the church, and he's given each of us to the church that is our church. You are a gift to us. And that brings all of who you are, not just some job you might do. This is like just the introduction questions for today's talk. I hope to sort of talk more about all these things. We're in the middle of a series called With God We Live, and we call it a quick start guide to the Christian life at International Bible Church. A quick start guide to the Christian life. If you come into this church and you ask us, how do we do Christianity? This series is the quick start guide to answering that question. Obviously, there's a lot to it. I mean, it's a giant book we study to learn this, you know. And, uh, yeah, so this is the quick overview. And if you join us for Sunday School after the service, then we can dive a little deeper into whatever you want to dive in a little deeper into. And, of course, the whole thing the whole, your whole life, you're diving a little deeper into all of these things, I hope. We started with the list of things we believe because we believe that belief is at the heart of everything about anyone. That a, person, a person's values come from their heart belief. And then if we think about values, then in the church, those beliefs lead to those values and those lead to a particular mission. And that mission leads us to a particular set of activities. And as we're doing the things we do because we are the body of Christ, we need to think about what does that mean to be the body of Christ? What's this organism, the body of Christ, and how is it? organized. So we have those five things, beliefs, values, mission, activities, and organics. And we talked about belief. talked about the Trinity. We talked about humanity. We talked about the fall of humanity and sin. We talked about the Bible. And then we talked about the message of the Bible, which is the gospel, the good news that God sent his son to redeem us sinners. And we talked about 
the law in the word that is meant to crush us until we come to faith. And then when we come to faith, that same law, I want to say the word magically, but I don't like the word magic. But that law is in faith transformed from crushing burden to fantastic opportunity. And we find we want to obey in Christ, whereas in the flesh we have to. In Christ, we get to. The same thing, the same rule, the same commandment, the same law is transformed by faith. And then we talked about the church, and now we're going to really talk more about the church today. What is the church, the family of God, the body of Christ, this new community to which we belong because we are adopted by our Abba, Father. And then we talked about life in the already and the not yet, the war that's going on between me and me. Me in Christ, me in the flesh. This war that we're in until Christ comes, and praise God, Christ is coming. And on that day, we will, even if we have not died, experience resurrection. And we will be delivered from me in the flesh to me 100% in Christ, for we shall see him as he is, and therefore we will be like him. That was the belief section. And last time we talked about the values, and we talked about we live with God. Live with God. The main thing about the whole story of the whole Bible is God's declaration that he will live with his people. And he does that in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is the thing. That is the prize. The prize of the Christian faith is not something you get for believing in Jesus other than Jesus. Sometimes we present the gospel like this. If you were to die today, where would you go? Do you know that you would go to heaven if you were to die today? Heaven is not the prize of the Christian life. The only thing good about heaven is that that is where he is. And the prize is to see him. That's what 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we, we, I mean, look around, us should be called children of God. And yet, that's what we are. And we haven't seen yet what we will be, but here's what we know. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That face-to-face -face relationship 
with the living Son of God, the resurrected one, our Savior, that is the prize. And it's the prize now. That scripture goes on to say, anyone who has this hope in him, in Christ, purifies himself now. How? Well, the only vision of purity in that text is the vision of Christ. So to whatever extent, though the scripture says now we see through a kind of lousy mirror, not that clearly, not face to face, but to whatever extent we see Christ, we purify ourselves, for we see him and we want to be like him. That's the hope, the prize. That's what we're talking about when we say we live with God. God's not a grand rule maker. God's not a great Santa Claus. He makes rules and he provides everything. But the thing about God is, in Christ, he is our Father. And we are restored to the sonship, the likeness of God that Adam was intended to have when we are in Christ. Now, that brings us today to today. And we're continuing this statement of values. There are seven statements in our statement of values. They're printed in the bulletin every Sunday. We live with God right here. We live with God in the gospel when we live by trusting in Jesus Christ, in the scriptures when we pay attention to his word, in prayer, period. Prayer is the practice of the Christian life. Prayer is the whole practice of the Christian life. There's nothing more to it than to pray. Because you can. You can, in prayer, have fellowship with the living God in Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Why do you ever do anything else? I'm serious. If you can stand before the living God and not be struck dead in your unrighteousness because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and you are possessed by the Spirit of God himself, if you can be there, why, why, why do you ever go anywhere else? There's only one answer. You don't really appreciate the glory of that. Now, there's another answer, though, which is, well, I got things to do. <laughs> I'm here. I got a life. I have to live. I have to make a living. I have to eat. I have to wear clothes. I have to have a house. I have to have a family and do the family thing and be a good father or a good mother or a good wife or a good husband or a good child or a good brother or a good sister. 
I have to, things are going on here. There's an old expression in English where you could describe somebody as so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. But Paul understands my question. My question is, if you can pray, why do you ever do anything else? Prayer is available to you. The actual living God of all things, the creator of all things, the one who was and is and is to come, will listen to you say whatever stupid thing you have to say at any time. Why on earth would you ever be anywhere else doing anything else? Paul understood this because he said, pray without ceasing. Now, I'm thinking about Paul, though. He was a busy guy. doesn't seem like he followed his own advice. There's one man who followed that advice at all times, all the time, his whole life from beginning to end, and that is Jesus. Jesus was in perfect, prayerful communion with the Father at all times until, until, until the single most horrible moment in the history of the world, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, he was deprived of life. Because life is fellowship with God. And God himself let go of fellowship with, I don't ugh. How do you even begin to grasp it? But Christ in his humanity died. But apart from that, at every moment, every day, all the time, I think even in his sleep, he was in perfect, faithful communion with the Father in prayer. And that is what Paul is arguing for us to emulate. We live with God in prayer. If you ask the question, how do you live with God? The answer is pray in Christ by the Spirit. That's how. So whatever else you're doing should be a prayer. Should be a prayer. Wait, that was last week's talk. We got four things to mention this week, so I guess I'm going to have to do it fast. Today we want to talk about with God together. God together. And now is the point where I want to point out to you that none of this says, I live with God. Or you, singular you, live with God. That's on purpose. 
Every one of these statements starts with the word we, we, we. In the modern age, we do not know the meaning of the word we. We believe in the autonomous individual. That is not a particularly biblical way of thinking of us people. Us people in the Bible is always us. Not me. So we live with God in worship when we gather on Sundays and when we live for his honor daily. We regularly assemble to remember and celebrate his grace toward us in Christ. I need you to worship. I need you. I need to come in here and hear you sing and clap for God in Christ by the Spirit. I need to remember these things that we teach every Sunday because I forget. I need to see the kindness of joyful service in you. Because I am lazy. I'm not kidding. I've had this problem my whole life. But when I see joyful service, I think, oh, yeah, it might be some work, but it's fun. And it's good. I need you for that. We gather on Sundays when we live for his, when we, when we gather on Sundays, we live with God in worship. We regularly assemble to re remember and celebrate his grace toward us in Christ. That is the point here. It's all in Romans 12 that we read. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, when I remember the mercies of God, when I remember all of that stuff from Romans 11 about from him, for him, to him, great be the glory of God that all of this is in the plan of God for God's great glory. And <clears throat> I'm caught up in the very fellowship of the Trinity itself. I remember his mercies. And then I respond. And this is what we do every Sunday. We come in here to remember his mercies to review the goodness of his grace in Christ, to see it another way, in a way we hadn't seen it last Sunday, to look at it again, to look at it together, to say to you, hey, get a load of this, and for here, to hear you say, yeah, but what about this? And I can say, oh, great is the goodness of God's grace. What is the only reasonable response Throw yourself into his care. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God, which is your only reasonable act of worship. 
to do anything else, you are being unreasonable if you have gotten a good view of his grace. That's why we're here today, everyone, to do that. To look at the cross and the empty tomb, to camp out between the cross and the empty tomb and look forward to that day we will see him eye to eye. Remember and go, oh, yeah, Jesus, I am his. No other response would be rational. I am his. I am his. That's worship. That's what the scripture says is worship. Worship is not a warm feeling, though it certainly could include warm feelings. Worship is not a song or a praise, though it certainly, I mean, if you worship, I don't know how you're going to help but sing. If you present yourself to God, if you get a serious good look at the mercies of God and don't sing, I think, what is wrong with you? But it's that, oh, yeah, I am his. That is the act of worship. And that is something you do all the time whenever you notice it to be necessary. <laughs> if tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning you go, wait, oh, wait, Christ, yeah, I am his. You are worshiping. And you need to do that at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. And all the time, every day, to remember, I am his. I am bought with the blood of Christ. I am his, I am his, I am his. There's no other reasonable place for me to go. Like Peter, when Jesus asked, so, uh, are you guys leaving too? And he says, to go where? That should be our response. That's worship. To go where? You have the words of eternal life. It would be foolish to leave. That's what we do here on Sunday. That's what you do every day when you live for his honor. You say, I am his, I am his. Abba, Abba, I am his, I am his. I win. We won already in Christ. He won, and he shares it with you. We live with God in worship. We live with God in fellowship when we share life together in Christ. The scripture says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. Now, let me just explain exactly what that means. That means I am commanded by this scripture to think carefully about you. Consider doesn't mean like be polite. It means to think, to think, to think hard, to analyze, to reckon, to count, to think carefully about. And now, you can't think carefully about someone <laughs> uh, 
without knowing someone. So there's a commandment here that really is kind of like, really get to know each other? Really. No, really. Really. Not superficially. Because knowing you superficially will not enable me to stir up in you love and good works. Because that's the second part here. I need to think carefully how, what I could do for you that would get you to do love and good works. You see how this is like twice removed? This doesn't say think carefully about how to do love and good works. It says think carefully about how to stir that up in others. (laughs) That's funny, isn't it? We normally think about the Christian life as sort of like this. Think carefully about what you should do to be loving toward others. But this text says, think carefully about what you could do to get others to be more loving toward others. Wow. Fellowship, really get to know. Well, and then he says, here's an important aspect of that, not neglecting to meet together. Here's something about the Christian life. It happens in person, in the body. In person, in person. Some people, this says, are in the habit of neglecting that. Don't be that guy. Some people are in the habit of not showing up when the church meets. Here's what they're missing. Being considered for the stirring up of love and good deeds. Out of sight, out of mind. Don't do that. It's important to meet. To dance around the fountain of God's grace together. Now, that is an opportunity, not just a commandment. You remember what I said. In Christ, all the commandments are not burdensome, Jesus said. I think it actually was John who said that. His commandments are not burdensome. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Why? Well, because he's carrying it. But in any case, this commandment to not neglect the meeting together, not imposed on you like some heavy weight. If you don't see the joy of being here, stay somewhere else. But it's an opportunity. It's the chance you have to be together with the other Abba people. To celebrate together, to see the God's grace together, to worship together, to share and encourage one another to love and good deeds. That's what he says, encouraging one another, encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, the day is the day of Christ, the day of the resurrection. You know what should the church should look like? When I was a kid, I'm a I was in a military family, 
and we moved around the country. So we did not live around our grandparents, but we loved our grandparents. And every now and then, I remember one case in particular. We lived in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. My grandparents lived in the state of Washington, which is like on the opposite side of the country. Now, from your perspective, I just drew that backwards. Washington is here, and Washington State is up here. So we didn't get to see them very much. But one time, they were coming to visit. They were coming to visit. And then it was the day. It was the day. All of, there's five of us now. All of us spent a lot of time that day looking out the front window. That's what, as you see the day approaching, is about. We should be all together on the sofa looking out the front window, going, ah, it's going to come any second now, any second now, any second now. More and more excited and more together in our excitement to see the day should make us more encouraging. Now here's something I've noticed about churches sometimes, and they talk about the second coming, they talk about it like a threat. Better shape up, because any day now he could be coming, and you don't want him to catch you doing that on the day he comes. Ever hear preaching like that? Well, it's not entirely untrue, but, you know, the Bible never presents the coming of Christ as a threat, but as our glorious hope. Because, you know, if he does catch me doing that, when he comes, I will be cured that day of that. In a heartbeat, in an instant, I will see him and I will say, oh, I'm like him. It's not a threat. It's a promise. We live with God in fellowship. Together. Together. Hmm. We're going to have to take this up again next time because we are like out of time now. There's a, this, this outline is printed in the bulletin, and the outline of every one of these messages is print, printed in a somewhat more elaborated form, like written out. So I encourage you to collect those and read those. Next time, we're going to talk some more about sharing life together in Christ. It's a very important word in our statement of values. We. We. And we could notice even in these scriptures about worship. You're not supposed to do it by yourself unless you have to. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you. That's a plural word. You. Brothers. That's a plural word. By the mercies of God to present your bodies, 
plurals. Plurals. More than one. Not you, but you. Your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's a singular. We are called upon to do this together. Together. There's one living sacrifice. There's many yous. Then it says, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, that's a plural, you. Spiritual worship, that's a singular. So you all have a singular worship. You all present your bodies a single living sacrifice. It's very interesting. When we come together, we worship together. The together bit is necessary. We live with God in worship together. (laughs) Together with God. Together. Father, we give you thanks for this great word of the gospel, the great encouragement, Lord. Oh, my goodness. Father, you have been good to us beyond measure. You can't imagine it even. Lord, we do look forward to that day when we will experience that transformation of resurrection Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that we would live in view of your mercy. In constant availability to you because it's possible for us. And where else would we want to be? Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name.